0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help.
0: Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages.
1: Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne causing bacteria. In studies, phyla slashed acne causing bacteria by a whopping 90%.
0: Phyla doesn't just fix acne, you can see, it stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special
1: treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin check out the link in our show notes for quick access.
0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike.
1: Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence. Ours and theirs. It is a total pleasure, privilege, and delight to welcome my wonderful colleague, Mary Pat Dratty. She is a dynamo, In her own right, she's also the director of Dynamo Workshops and Training. She has a master's in social work from the Silver School of Social Work at NYU. In the summers, Mary Pat is the programming director at Pocono Springs Camp in Pennsylvania. Mary Pat, who I sometimes will refer to as MP, lives in New York City with her family, including her 12-year-old daughter and 14-year-old son. So like me and Cara, Mary Pat is working, living, and breathing, tweens, teens, and puberty. And we are so, so happy to have her on with us today. Welcome. Hi, Mary Pat.
2: Hi, so (laughs) excited to be here.
0: (laughs) So uh, will you share with the listeners a little bit more of a rounded out version of who you are and how... You landed where you landed. The first time I ever met you was in L.A., I think. It was in L.A. at a workshop, a Dynamo Girl puberty workshop. Vanessa was wearing giant pink underpants outside (laughs) of her jeans. Like, really? She was very committed to the pink underwear because they went very committed almost up to her nipple line they were so high <laughs> um but um you, uh, you are you are no shy sidekick there my friend so can you share yeah. a little bit about who you are and how you landed here
2: yeah hi everybody I'm Mary Pat I sound like I'm going through puberty it's just fall in New York and so I lose my voice so I felt appropriate that my voice will be cutting in and out. So just, on as if, theme. You are I'm on so theme. on theme. Yes. I just always like to stick with puberty in all things. Yeah. So I'm a social worker. I got, you know, to Dynamo Girl and doing puberty. You know, I, I grew up not talking about puberty. And so when Vanessa and I were working with our Dynamo Girls and parents were coming to us and talking to us all the time about their children's puberty, you know, it became sort of this. This theme, and, and then we were seeing it with our own children, and so. But I came to it not because this was an experience I had growing up. I grew up in an Irish Catholic family. Um, I was the baby of four kids, and because we were Irish Catholic, there was four of us in five years, and so you know Irish twins, the two oldest, um, which is eleven months apart. And so, when I, we started talking about doing this work, I started thinking about that, you know. And my mother, at one point, my parents had four of us in puberty, you know, at the exact, you know, all at the same time. And we were Good passing time. each other. It was awesome. <laughs> I think it's why my mom always said to always have a dog because someone likes you in the house when your kids are in <laughs> their <Totally>. teens. <laughs> so, as we, yeah. So, so my path to it was not because I had this sort of romantic history with puberty and my experience, it was much more out of I needed something different than what I had. And I think in social work school, that became more present as I started to do sort of the child development learning and thinking about where kids are and what they need at the ages they are, is where, you know, talking to kids about their anatomy and you know, like using anatomically correct terms all became, you know, pre having kids, something where I was like, oh, this really makes sense.
1: So the theme for today's episode is really about doing it differently. Or if you didn't grow up in a home that talked about puberty and sex and bodies and consent and kind of generally complicated and hard topics, how do you do it? How do you become someone who does if you decide that it's important to you? And if you're listening to this podcast, God, I hope you have decided that it's important to (laughs) talk about these things. So if you can root us in that early training, right? Yeah. You're in social work school, you're in your early twenties, you went to a Catholic university, you lived in Boston, you <laughs> get to NYU and you're like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. And, and it, it was the awareness rooted in that time at social work school. Was it rooted in, you know, in college, like talk us through like the awakening, the kind of realization yeah. that you wanted to do things
2: differently. I think the fact was that I was dependent on my friends for a lot of my information when I was growing up. And you know, my friends are wonderful and those friends are still my friends now and they're very smart women, but they weren't always getting it right. And I think so many of my experiences in when I was in my 20s sort of processing those college it was that there was so much shame. There was so much that I was sort of closed up about. And then I'd have these friends that were not, you know, and growing up, I had friends' houses that I were going to that were so open and that were talking about things. And I was like, you know, climbing under the table while they were doing it. But I knew that there were different ways. What's an example when you think back to that, like crawling under the table? I mean, I remember sitting in college, my roommate's father was an OBGYN and we like, you know, a parent comes into town, they take the roommates out to dinner and like, we're, you know, like ordering our appetizers. And she's like, dad, so I'm having like really bad cramps. And I just don't know if I should go on the pill yet because of my cramps or sh-. And I'm like sitting there like, wait, what? What is, like, what is happening?
0: Because this is a shrimp
2: vis- cocktail right? <laughs> <laughs> and another drink, please. <laughs> right? And I was like, you know, just sort of stunned to silence. And I think so much, was it was about silence and hiding in a lot and that's of my not
1: even that you should have been at the dinner when my mom came to visit <laughs> me at college she my friends still talk about that dinner she was drinking white russians and telling s- stories about her sex life and right. they were like oh my
2: god this is- <sighs> yeah. yeah but it was it was yeah. an, it
1: was eye-opening let's just put it, was, it that way
2: it was eye-opening and i think i also grew up so i grew up Typical Irish Catholic family, not to be so sort of stereotypical, but like, you know, there was a lot of addiction. And when I was in high school, the addiction started to be talked about. My mother really led this charge in talking about the addiction to sort of shed a light on something. And it was transformative for my family. And so that, like, you know, I started in human resources and, you know, working in corporate settings, but that shedding light on something was really sort of transformative for me. And so then when I was, when I decided to do social work um, and go back to school in my late twenties, it really all made so much sense to me about like the shedding the light on the things that we carried shame about. And so this whole conversations about bodies that I didn't have, you know, in social work school, they're having you work out a lot of your stuff, you know, because some people have come in not doing therapy. I'd done a lot of therapy, but. You know, a lot of your early papers are like, so that you're not going in and working with clients and putting all your stuff on them.
0: So I taught sex education, growth education, really, not just sex education in schools for many, many years. Right. And at the beginning of each year, there would be a parent meeting. It was sort of right. like meet your educators, right? And yeah. the person who I co-taught with, who's a really, really smart and interesting guy was committed to the notion of going around the room when the conversation opened and asking people to share their story a little bit or to talk about what they did or didn't talk about in their home. And what you're describing, which is growing up in a home where no one talked about all this, is by far the most common scenario that I would hear, whether it was based in sort of religious or cultural or generational trapping it didn't matter right yep. that that across the board people would talk about and i'm very curious to understand how your family accepted your move into a world of deep conversation yes. i think that's a really there's when the parents would answer the question of what's your journey they would say, "Well, we never talked about this," and then they would be nervous, like they were, they were breaking a rule or letting someone down or being disrespectful in some way, and right. and that that still that it, what you just called shame still yeah. stuck with them all these years later, decades later. What was it like for you? How did you like? Hey, mom, <laughs> that addiction conversation was really impactful. And I'm actually, I I'm yeah. dedicate my whole life. Like, what did that look like, and how did that feel, and how can people who are listening who Are really struggling with having conversations, how can they, what notes can they take from you just to make that leap into opening the conversation?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a bit of a pendulum. You know, I think when I started first sort of talking about my truths, as I would call them, you know, the pendulum was swinging and it was like, you know, I was sort of going in with a bulldozer and sort of forcing some conversations that people didn't want to have. And I think, I don't know what that's like. at all. Never <laughs> I <don't>, do <laughs> yeah. And that was a little bit of the role I played in my house where it was like, there's an elephant under the rug. And I think there's a second one in the other room, you know, like, and so I, I think there was a part of me that I stopped wanting to play that role. And so I think the, the more like that I've become comfortable of like not pushing this on my family the more comfortable we're having conversations. Now, because my siblings and I, we were all similar in age, we all started having kids around the same time too. And I think that piece has brought conversation because there are things that we, you know, like my husband always jokes about my family that they should be rented out to weddings. Like there's something very exciting about my family. (laughs) They're fun and all these things, but there's things that we all sort of are looking to do a little different and, and we're using each other. And saying I'm having a hard time talking about this or we're calling each other being like, okay, you know, like so-and-so is about to, you know, if we think they're going into puberty. How are you talking about this? We're sort of, and it's been interesting because I think the less I'm trying to be the person that I want them to see me to be, the more they're seeing me that way. And we're able to have more open dialogue and honest dialogue.
0: Are either of you, Vanessa or Mary Pat, worried that the pendulum's going to swing back the other way, that we are having all these conversations with our kids. And literally until this very moment, I've never considered that the pendulum phenomenon with puberty conversations, I just figure it's a new normal, but do you worry that the pendulum's going to swing back and our kids are going to raise their kids going, my parents talked about this nonstop. They were in my business. They were in my space. You know, what is any possible downside that someone is listening to this conversation? Um, How can we talk them out of that fear, that worry? Because I would imagine that's a worry, right?
1: I mean, I don't feel, first of all, I'm a second generation puberty talker, right? I am the child of a puberty talker. I am a puberty talker. My brother makes his profession partially out of being a puberty talker. And I'm married to a first-generation puberty talker, which I think we might want to trademark that or maybe come well, up with a better term and then you're
0: trademark You're a it. puberty native married to a puberty immigrant. Is oh, yeah. yes. Yes. yes.
1: Oh, that's so good. All right, puberty Literally. native. Someone, someone write that down. So I see the benefit, having grown up in it, I see the benefit of having grown up talking about puberty and sex and our bodies right i know i did not experience very much shame around my body's functioning and my puberty i felt very comfortable advocating for myself in my sexual relationships because we talked and my mom talked about it and so that's for my experience with my kids My perspective is that talking about puberty is actually a training ground for talking to adolescents really about anything, right? It happens to be about puberty, but it could be about a training ground for anything. And it allows me to have all sorts of other conversations with my kids that are really helpful and wonderful and I think useful to them. And so I really hope and believe that it won't swing the other way. Can you guys yeah. hear Bimbo barking?
0: Your, your dog really wants to get in this room. I mean, I, I just kicked her out and
1: she's now <laughs> running around outside my window. This you know, Vanessa, Fucking dog is like.
0: It's because you talk about everything in your house and Bimbo would like to be here for this conversation. Bimbo said, Bimbo.
1: no one's talked to me. No one. So I don't know, Mary Pat, do you feel like you, are you worried the pendulum's going to swing the other way? I, I feel convinced because also I wouldn't have a, job if I didn't feel convinced that talking about puberty
2: was right.
1: important and useful.
2: I think if you're doing it and you're not thinking about who your child is, I think that like, I could see that happening. Like if you're like, I want to talk about it. I want it. Like if I was sort of where I'm not paying attention to who my kids are, like, you know, I know it was mentioned in another podcast, like my daughter's super private. And I think, I've had to really think about when and how, and we've had many, you know, I mean, I think of the circular conversations, like hers are like bits and pieces where my son, it's like, I remember the first time it was like, we got one of the Roby Harris books and he and I went to Fairway and, you know, the upstairs Fairway in New York city, there's this like restaurant in the second level of Fairway where like all politicians hang out at at like I feel like I've seen many famous politicians and famous New Yorkers in there. And we, he and I sat and read, um, I think it's, it's not the stork. And it was like, he was like, sperm. Awesome. Okay, great. And there's eggs and, you know, he's like in first grade. And so that's been my experience with him and my daughter has been really different. And so, yeah, I think if I only push what I want on them, yeah, I think that would happen, right? Well, and
0: obviously- I think it's a bit of a rhetorical question because we're all doing this and we're all here, but the seismic shift of what you're describing between the way you were raised and what you do deserves to have a light shine shown on it to the people who are listening who feel like it's a seismic shift. I think it's extremely helpful for them to hear your story of making the shift and your family still loves you. Yeah and your kids adore you and the way that you relate to everyone around you from your childhood on up is all the stronger for it. Yeah right. So it. that that to me is why I think the change is here to stay because it doesn't alienate you from right. everyone around you and that reassurance for the folks who are listening who just aren't sure that they want to go quite there all the time or they Feel comfortable, or or they've if you know a lot of it comes to, down to disrespect. They're worried about disrespecting their elders by having co- certain conversations or crossing certain lines. I don't want to be my kid's friend, which you, you shouldn't be your kid's friend. We all agree on yeah. that piece of it. But then where's the line between being your kid's friend and speaking frankly with your kid about puberty? We can draw that line for people. We can draw it really clearly. I yeah. I just it just feels to me very poignant that you came from one yeah. type of upbringing. And you literally went 180 degrees. And all of those wonderful primary relationships in your life are still very much there. And changing your approach here didn't shift any of that.
2: Yeah. And I think like, I really do think my parents were doing a really wonderful job. And I think they were doing much more than their parents did. You know, I mean, I remember when I got my period, I remember her giving me a mirror and saying, go into the bathroom. Like, you need to understand, like, like, I don't think she, I don't know if she used any terms, but she was like, you need to understand your vagina and like what it is and like, what's down there. And like, so that was like really something for I think where she was coming from and she, you know, was in all Catholic schools. So it was like a very different where you weren't talking about those things. And I think, but I think, you know, that my experiences, you know, in thinking about coming on, like it was just, I found out about periods from the movie blue lagoon at a sleepover. I mean, the things I discovered about sleepovers, I mean, right. And it was like, I was at my friend Jen's and like, she gets her, Brooke Shields gets her period. And I didn't know what it was. And I remember Jen's mom like turning to Jen and being like, do not tell Mary Pat anything more. So of course we went upstairs and she was like, you sometimes get like eggs and then you have like, she was talking about vaginal discharge, but she was like, you know, like the yolk of the egg is in the, in your underpants. I mean, like I for ages was looking for like egg in my underpants. I mean, you know, so I think it's that piece of like how much confusion I
0: walked around with. Although that is a great descriptor <laughs> for normal vaginal discharge—the right? color well, egg white. and egg, egg white, egg white right. not egg yolk. No, egg yolk, egg yolk no goes no to yolk. your doctor, but egg white <laughs> yeah. is yeah raw, pre-cooked, raw, right? Pre-cooked.
1: Pre- <laughs> <laughs> So in case we have any listeners who've never seen vaginal discharge in person, now you know exactly what it looks like. Raw egg whites (laughs) before they are cooked in a pan or hard-boiled.
0: Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where UmLaw comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra, and it's game changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft, and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. Umbra's one of a kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding. Which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their umbras. It's why we say that the umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info at myumla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com.
1: Hey, it's Vanessa. I started a company called Dynamo Girl, and one of the coolest parts of my work is running our Dynamo Puberty Workshops for hundreds of families across the country. We teach the anatomy and physiology involved in puberty because so many adults never learned it and kids have so many questions about it. In our workshops, we also talk about the feelings involved in puberty. For kids, it's often tricky stuff around friendships and body image and social media and just being in our families. And for adults, it's the constant struggle of wanting to support our kids in the most loving ways we can, even when it feels like they just want us to be quiet. This December, we'll be running two virtual Dynamo workshops that will get to all those questions and more. On December 4th, join me and my Dynamo colleagues to learn about male puberty. And on December 11th, join us to learn about female puberty. People of all genders are welcome to attend all workshops. You can go to www.dynamogirl.com to learn more and register for our workshops or check out the show notes for links to register. We hope to see you there. Cara, lately, I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine, and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my
0: family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause.
1: We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B I O P T I M I Z E R S dot com slash puberty, and you can use the code puberty ten during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is puberty10 at dot slash puberty. Your body and brain and
0: family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa. We literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors ready to eat meals. They have been a godsend.
1: We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious and I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies.
0: So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to com slash
1: puberty50 and use the code PUBERTY50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is PUBERTY50 at com slash PUBERTY50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house.
0: Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving.
1: And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them.
0: Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. So
1: you have this sleepover, you get this information. If you have questions, like if you had questions,
2: where did you go? I mean, I don't think I went. I don't think I went home with it. I think because I didn't want to get in trouble for watching Blue Lagoon, right? Like, you know, there's the layers <laughs> of like. There's probably. trolls were okay? busy
1: watching Porky, so you could have come <laughs> hung out with us.
2: <laughs> well, my and brothers and little, little angels. angels. Yeah, totally. My brothers did end up learning how to rig HBO in our house. And so we watched plenty of Porky's,
0: but. And the Z um, channel, the Z yeah. channel.
2: So I, I don't think, I, you know, and I remember my sister buying pads and I didn't know what they were and being and asking what they were. And my mom was like, you'll find out later. So there did was a lot of. your sister tell you? No. I mean, that's what's sort of fascinating. There were four of us and we weren't talking. I mean, there was this sort of, the quietness of it and hiding your, I mean, I shared a bathroom with three siblings. Like I didn't have pads in the bathroom. I didn't have, you know, any, like, so you sort of kept them in your room. I mean, there was all of this silence around it yet. It was very much there. Right. You know, I remember my mom walking into the, our family room when we were watching TV and she'd be like, say to my brothers, like hands above the blankets. And I am like, I don't, I didn't know what was going on, but clearly she knew what was going on. You know, like (laughs)
1: Wow! How did you ever get into the bathroom with two teenage brothers sharing a bathroom with them? I mean, yeah. teenage boys yeah. spend so much time in the bathroom.
2: I begged a lot to use my parents' bathroom because their our bathroom was pretty gross.
1: Smart, very yeah. smart.
2: So can you tell
1: our listeners in our workshops, we do this exercise and I've mentioned it before on the podcast, we call it unpacking or leaving your baggage at the door.
2: Yeah. Sort of the and untangling of your experience in your child's. Untangling your
1: experience in your child's, kind of letting go of your your experience and hopefully being able to leave it outside the room when you go to parent your yeah. child or you know educate children around puberty. And you tell the story of your baggage, right? If you had to yeah. pinpoint your story or your baggage, can you tell people your story? Because it's... Yeah it's so good and it's so illustrative of everything we're talking about today the yeah the background the parents the you know who we are asking questions not asking questions just sort of like figuring it out yeah. so share that story please
2: yeah and this is you know part of my processing these stories is you know i don't want to repeat it and i think it's sometimes when you're unconscious to some of the things of your past you just end up repeating it because you're not really sort of conscious Consciously making different choices. So when yeah, when I got my first period, I was probably 13. I was I was in seventh grade. And my mom gave me, which was the belt. And so, you know, those of us who I was, so I was born 73. So this is probably around 86, you know. The belt, of course, I did research, like was stopped being made in like the 60s. So I'm not sure how my mom had it, but it was like this belt you wore with these like latches. And then there was these pads that were so thick. I mean, at least an inch thick, right? Like they were really, and they were long. And then there was long material that you strapped into the belt and you wore this, you know, and it was like, and this was like, there were pads with wings at this point, you know? So it wasn't, and there were tampons. There were a lot of choices. And so my mother was like, this is the best. And so like, I did what I was told. Right. I was, I was this, you know, good girl. And so I wore this pad and then I was a swimmer and I was also like on a swim team. And so uh, I wore this pad, like under a bathing suit with like swim shorts on. And I mean, it just the layers of it, of these pads, you know, and like how to like choosing clothes and like, and I luckily, so I grew up, you know, with siblings and I grew up with 28 first cousins all nearby. And so I was away with cousins and I was like going into ninth grade. It was the summer going to ninth grade. And I mentioned, I hate wearing pads under my bathing suit. and My cousins were like three female cousins older. And they were like, what? I was like, oh, you know, like the pad and the belt. And they like got, a, you know, a view of what I was talking And they were like, okay, They like handed me like six different kinds of tampons. And they were like, go in the bathroom, get this inside yourself. And if you can't, we will do it for you. And it like changed everything as a swimmer, as a, you know.
0: And for for anyone listening to this story who does not have periods, has never had periods, and has no firsthand experience with pads they are neither waterproof nor are they designed for use in water in any way shape no. or form.
2: Yeah, and so your choice as a, you know, and as someone that works at a camp, you know, your choice was to miss a week of water. You know, and what that is like if you're at a sleepaway camp that the sleepaway camp is 3 weeks, you miss a, you know, a whole week of being able to swim. And so those choices and I think there was also the piece like it wasn't a pad you could hide like they were just so, you know, and I think but it was also me not having voice of like this doesn't work for me. And and I think wanting part of our work with the Dynamo girls is that they like they have choice, you know, it's developmentally appropriate for kids to have choice. But I think if I hadn't unpacked this, I think there would have been some passing on of shame around periods where, you know, Like we always say to the girls, the dynamo girl, like you could walk, you can walk to the bathroom with your, if with whatever you're holding like this, like there should be no shame in this normal bodily function. You know, I don't think most of them do, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if one of our daughters does, you know.
0: One little rabbit hole worth going down for a second. I'm stuck on the swimming piece of all this. And in classes with younger girls who have not yet gotten their period. There's a lot of anxiety around swimming. Yep. Actually, there's a group for whom swimming is not the desired sport. And so suddenly they all have their period all the time. And that's yes. a, that's a funny little side yes. thing too. But for those who are terrified about getting their period while swimming, feels like it's worth a side note to mention. The body does this incredible thing where it does not bleed in water. The vagina does not let out blood in water. It's not true. You can cut yourself and your skin will bleed, but there's gotta be sort of a pressure gradient situation going on. It must've evolved. I have to assume it evolved because of marine life that might be attracted to human blood perhaps. Mm -hmm. But if a person were to get a period while swimming, the way it would present itself is not a giant puddle of blood following you the way it would present itself is you get out of the water and then the blood used you know, sort of either climb out of the pool or climb out of the lake or come yep. out of the ocean. And there's the gush of of blood that comes down. That's one side note, rabbit hole. The second is because there should be no shame, exactly what you just described. Girls could could and should walk down hallways holding a tampon above their head, holding right. a pad in their hand. They shouldn't have to hide, but they, They often feel they need to. And so one of the most important things to teach our girls as we're starting to have these conversations is how to have one another's backs, literally. Mm Right. How, right, a kid gets out of the water, blood starts coming out. That kid has no idea there's blood. You do, grab them a towel, grab them a sweatshirt, just say, hey, throw this around your waist. Have, literally have their back two little side notes on. No,
2: but Carl, like, this is so important. Like I have just as many conversations about this stuff with my son as well, because he has good friends and there's, I think it's the first episode of big mouth where, you know, Andrew gives a sweatshirt to his good friend. And I was like, that's who I want my son to be. I want him to be, you know, a side note was I was giving a puberty workshop with Vanessa. And then I was driving to Boston for my niece's bat mitzvah. And I'm driving and realize I get my period. I realize I have like two tampons with me. Cause you know, if you run a puberty workshop, why do you need tampons ever? And why are you surprised that you still, when you get your period, but you do. <laughs> and so I had to stop. And so we pulled over to CVS and my son was like, can I go get, can you get me MMs?" While and I was like, and I, it was actually, my husband turned to him. was like, yeah, why don't you go get M&Ms and get your, grab your mom some tampons? And my son went in and bought tampons. He was 10 at the time, bought tampons, bought his M&Ms. And I think he was less conscious that he would be now, but it was like, this is a normal part of going to the store for our family. And how awesome. do we bring our children, all of them along so that they are sort of looking out for each other, exactly as you said.
1: I had a situation. (laughs) Actually in LA, the last time I was there, I was wearing white jeans and was towards the end of my period and decided, Hey, it's a great idea to wear white jeans while I have my period. And by the way, I'm not going to wear period underwear or a pad. I'm going to wear my nude hanky panky thong because that's what I wear with white jeans. So fast forward, I went actually to see my brother do a a stand-up show with a good friend and we got up to leave and I realized, oh my God, I'm leaking all over my white jeans in the middle of like Hollywood Boulevard. So we go to one of the stores that sells all the tchotchkes, all the tourist stuff in Hollywood Boulevard. And I was like, I'll buy a pair of sweatpants to put on, you know, over my white jeans. And I luckily had a sweater around my waist because whenever I have my period, I have a sweater or something. You're prepared. Well, I'm like half prepared and half totally unprepared, and like <laughs> that, the weirdest that combination. That was my point. Finesse. Yes, <laughs> Car doing prepared. sarcasm. Oh my god,
0: <laughs> you um, rubbed off on me. The, when we do the period products podcast, we'll have to have sweatshirt in there. Yeah, we'll have to have sweatshirt products. and an extra yes. pair
1: of leggings. So we're in one of these Chachki tourist stores. And my friend and Nick are like, I don't see anything. And I was like, Really? And like, the next thing I know, I'm like in the store, (laughs) I'm lifting my leg and like standing in different positions with my white jeans so they could see how evident my like leak was. And we were going to a bar, and I get to the bar, and I'm like, I said to the waitress, I said, I'm leaking all over my jeans. She goes, honey, don't worry. I'm going to show you where my private bathroom is and you can take care of everything. And that was it. But again, it was like, I had this brother who was like checking out my period leak and telling me whether it was like how bad it was. And, you know, a dear friend who I could just like splay my legs to, to determine the level of the the leak.
0: Apparently, just like Mary Pat's family, your family should be rented out for weddings. as Well,
1: <laughs> well you know That's what Roger says? You know story. what Roger says? Roger says, Roger, <laughs> Roger, my husband, for those of you who didn't hear his episode, he says, your family is like, has like a black belt in cocktail party etiquette. He's like, you can drop your family at any cocktail party anywhere in the world and you will like sit and chat with anyone. I think Mary Pat's family is more fun at a wedding, but we're pretty good at a cocktail party. Anyways, the (laughs) other side note I want to make about swimming and periods is that there are companies that make period bathing suits that have an absorbent pad built in and they can be washed and reused for that kind of emergence from the water moment where the blood does let down and the fluid
0: does let down. Um, Technology is so amazing. It's I so mean, it's amazing. amazing. That is um, the miracle yeah. of all time. When
1: is it? When's Umla going to make a period bathing suit Kara? Yeah. Let's get on that. Let's get on that. So I'm not going to promote anyone else's period bathing suit. Only only Umla's imaginary. Only Umla's (laughs) futuristic period bathing suit. And so Mary Pat, what were you going to say?
2: Well, I was going to say, I I mean, it really is transformative for camps because, you know, a lot of girls are not ready to use tampons their first time, you know, and and I think that's perfectly fine. Right. And there's no rush, no rush.
0: And now there's really no rush. Right. Uh,
2: right? And I think, I mean, I, my first entree into working into a, a sleepaway camp, as a social worker was a one week camp for people living with HIV, but it was full family, but we had girls that were missing the entire week. And this was their one week to swim. And it was and so now, yeah, like, I mean, that's where being, we really talk to parents about like, there's so much out there that you don't even know because you're not, you know, in it as much
0: and we we are going to do an entire episode about all the products because there is a generational gap in yeah. knowledge here. But um, dancers, gymnasts, they too are the beneficiaries of a lot of these new products because yeah. for so many years, dancers and gymnasts in particular would say the water is not an issue, but I do feel so nervous with my leg in the air and this out in the other doing all these moves. I don't trust a pad really yeah. came down to trust or someone can see the wings or see the bulk totally. and it felt very, so this, these products which are marketed as swimwear um, are very, very versatile uh, and period underwear as well. Total game and, changers. And as athletes, I mean,
2: I was a dancer, <laughs> like sort of, my mother had me do dance. So I'm sure I was wearing the belt when I was dancing, but <laughs> really as an athlete, you know, playing a basketball game or a field hockey game with a pad on is not, I mean, it's really hard. It's with it's a six
0: inch thick pad, <laughs> right.
2: belted
0: and stapled to yes. your abdomen. I mean, even yes. a
1: regular pad, I didn't, I couldn't play sports in my, you know, my always with wings. I had to wear, I mean, I started using a tampon the second time I got my period because I wanted yeah. to go swimming and I was like, I'm not going to not go swimming. So I just, I don't know. My sister had tampons in the house and that was, and that was it. But I think for, yeah, for athletes, I mean, there, there is an episode to be done Kara, about women's cycles and their, you know, their athleticism and their abilities at different points in their cycles. It's, it's really interesting, but from a practical standpoint, running, you know, a cross country race or playing a soccer game with a, you know, extra long, heavy day, always pad is really not particularly comfortable. And it's Um, it's
2: also like, I think part of our work in our workshops is about taking the shame out. And I think for the parents that we work with, you know, it's really been sort of, I feel like it's my baby of getting parents to talk about their stuff and, and reminding them like, continue to talk about it. Like find friends that you can talk about it. Because the fact is, as we enter perimenopause a lot of us start you know bleeding really heavily and are suddenly having the accidents we had when we were 13 and we feel we can feel the same shame and it would be great for us not to
0: this all circles around kind of filling the information gap yeah mm-hmm. i'm curious if you can walk us through mary pat how you filled your own information gap when you were growing up maybe take sex ed as an example of where you learned your sex ed, having grown up in a Catholic home and going to a Catholic school. I'd love to know that piece. Yeah. But then, what's your advice for families now where there right. is an information gap, where parents are bringing their knowledge from the 1970s and 80s to the conversation? Right. And my, house, how the world has changed. And yet, what our kids are learning from friends or from the internet is not always correct. So will you help us think that? Yeah,
2: I mean, so I I actually went to public school, but went to a Catholic college. But the public school, I, I remember something in sixth grade. I remember my sixth grade teacher. I remember us getting split. I was learning everything from my friends. I was learning it all. It was a lot of sleepovers, a lot of being in a sleepover and learning that people grow pubic hair, not just our parents. I mean, it was a lot of these, I, you know, my theme of this could be what you can learn in a sleepover, you know, and some of it was good information. Some of it not really. And did you have sex at it? Rye High? So we had health class. I remember middle school health class, our teacher who I loved, he was wonderful, but we did watch his wife give birth. Oh my Um, God. Video of his wife giving birth. (laughs) So it was sort of horrifying. Wow. Um,
1: That's a talk about a pendulum swing. Did you see like her
2: vagina giving birth? Oh, yeah. It was, it was full of. Oh my God. It was like the birthing class ones that I also saw. Right.
0: But this is pre. Uh, cell phone and handheld video cams. I just want people to take a moment, take a pause and understand what the setup (laughs) must have been there (laughs) just to capture this on video. Yeah. Wow. Uh, So like people talk about like condoms
2: and bananas. I don't remember anything like that. I remember just in sixth grade, them splitting us. You know, I remember learning about like my friends getting bras because they were getting bras. I had friends that were developing younger, you know, like, so there was so much of like gaps in. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we, my kids were in a school that was starting, you know, they started in the pre-K talking about babies and talking about and using anatomically correct. So we were in an environment in New York where that was happening in the schools. And what I kept finding was that parents were like, I don't know how to talk about this. And so I started, when we started talking about this work, I just started reading everything that was out there, including your books, um, all the Roby Harris books, like I read all of those and, you know, finding things that I liked, things that I didn't, some that were mentioning the term vulva and some not. And a lot of women don't know there's a difference between your vulva and your vagina. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know, but I think there were a lot of books like new puberty With Lois Greenspan, Girls and Sex, which was more for thinking about what's after we talk about puberty, but Girlhood, Melissa Febos, The Vagina Bible, um, Dr. Jen Gunter, who's just written a menopause manifesto, right? So like, and these sort of compiling beyond the birds and the bees, like there was all of these books out there that I felt like just filling these gaps that And I had already obviously had two children and I had gone to social work school and I still felt like there were gaps. You know, Vanessa, you and I talking through building this, we were sort of realizing what we knew and what we didn't know and how much lack of education there was.
1: Yeah, I mean, you are someone who, when you wanna know or you need to know, you will read everything out there. And you gave yourself an education and, you know, with the with the best books out there for for kids all the way up to adults. And you also own your own story and your own path, right? Because I think sometimes when we have had a journey where we didn't know, and now we know a lot, I think often the temptation certainly for me is to forget that time when I didn't know and right. to kind of put it, put it away in a closet and be like oh well now I'm an expert now I know but the power is actually in the in the path power yeah. is in the journey of going from someone who who didn't know or who felt shame or who didn't understand or who was confused to someone who who educated herself and not only educated herself but like actually has now educated hundreds of families about puberty so MP what advice do you have for other parents who had you know, a similar background to you and that they maybe grew up in a family where, and frankly, in a community where these things weren't talked about, where they want to do right by their kids, but they don't, they feel shame about their past. They feel embarrassed about their ignorance. They feel uncomfortable about having these conversations because they don't even know how to go about it. Where should they start, right? You have training as a social worker. You- run puberty workshops, you train educators how to talk about puberty. And so often those folks are just like where you were a decade ago. Um, So where should they start? What are a couple of kind of tips or guidelines for people to begin those conversations? Because I think you would agree. And I certainly feel this way. The more you have the conversations, the easier they get the yeah. better you get at them, the more you build the muscle of having those conversations and the more comfortable our kids get in hearing us bring up these topics and, and have these conversations. So can you give us some some guidance for that process?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one of our homework always we give, especially educators, is if if they are feeling uncomfortable, is like, can you work like the word vagina into conversations like six times over the next week? Just start saying it.
0: You know, like there's Vanessa it, can do that right now. Six <laughs> times over the next minute.
1: <laughs> I think I'm, did I, have I used vagina six times today already? Yeah. Um. No, but right. You're, you, you, part of it is just like, okay, it's awkward. It's hard. You gotta like, break through it. You gotta, you gotta break through. And I think when we trained a group of educators at a New York school, you were like, okay, I'm going to bump you up. I want you to use the word vulva. Yeah. And they were all like,
2: Oh. oh. Right. And so many of them come back and they're like it really wasn't that big of a deal. Like it was so much harder cuz there's so much stuff tied to it and and most of the educators are also like I'm saying penis all day. You know, so I'm like right, so let's use some equity, like start saying them all. And I think I really really always tell people like all of us have those good friends that we can be real truthful with, you know, and sort of unpack some of it you know, write it down, write down some of your, like your period stories or your puberty stories, male and female. I mean, male, you know, the men that come to the our workshops, like they have, a, like everyone has a lot. We've heard from a lot of people who come to the workshops that are like, wow, people are walking around with a lot of pain from that mm-hmm. time. With and the so, men, it's
1: usually, an, like an you know, embarrassment. A, a boners kind of at very inconvenient times. And wet dreams. I would yeah. say that's like 90 maybe some getting caught in the act of masturbation stories, but I would say
0: well that, those... that's what that's what they've been given language to talk about. Right. Right? Oh,
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: That's right. So to to the point of the pendulum, I do feel like the pendulum has swung a lot, but we have a little bit more to go especially, especially when it with... comes to the boys and giving them language to talk about more. Right, like they the don't talk show. about
1: heartbreak. They don't talk about was, like yeah. their first love. They don't right. talk about like lasting right. 10 seconds the first time they had sex, right? Or like men the,
0: or or some do, but it's not the, the the norm to make yourself vulnerable in the conversation in that way. Right.
2: And making room for it in your like making room for it in your life for your child to talk about it. Because I think it's often it's like, well, that was just a crush, right? And there might be something when they're eight or nine, there might be something more that and giving them, you know, I'm always about a good feeling chart, you know, like getting a feeling chart when you're talking to your, especially your boys. Cause I think, you know, they're not encouraged as much to say these more than anger or happy, you know, like I'm feeling disappointed or I'm feeling really sad about that. So I think that's some of the work, but I think for that individual as a parent, you know, unpacking, reach out to those college roommates or whoever it is that you can really think about what you're carrying and your hesitations around it all. Because some of those hesitations are so... And some of them is like, uh, my mother wouldn't stop talking about it. She, like the day I got my period, we have enough of those at the workshops where it's like, the mother was calling everyone in the neighborhood to say that she, you know, they got their period of like, of thinking about the privacy of your child who right. is your child and what are their needs and not just depending on the school to to cover this because during covid we know schools are they're doing their best to cover a lot and they're going to be mostly focused on academics right now
0: well the the school piece is very interesting because a lot of this got outsourced to schools for social reasons right parents right. There was a whole generation of parents that didn't want to talk about this, or I shouldn't say a generation, that's not fair. It was more standard in a generation right. of parents to not want to talk about this. So it got conveniently outsourced to schools. That, that puts a tremendous burden on the schools, partly because this is a mishmash of biological information, neuroscience right. information. And then there's this thick layer of morality, values, personal judgments. Right. So unlike any other class that's taught in school, and every class is a little fraught right now, but unlike any other, this one has a very, very, very thick top layer of personal sort of personal experience and how who's informing your kid about making certain decisions. It feels like it's time for parents not to take back the conversation because there's a lot to be taught in the school setting and it breeds a lot of empathy to teach this in the school setting, but for parents to reinsert themselves as primary players so that it's a triangle. There's yes. the kid, there's the school, and they're the parents and everyone is contributing to that stool so the stool is more balanced.
2: That's right. I mean- I have a child, my daughter has migraines. And so it's, you know, and it's like, you know, every 28 days, it's all around your period. And so it's like, I am partnering with the teachers and the nurse and like, you know, of how to help my daughter. And and that my daughter has these people to talk to that she can say, like, I'm getting my period. This is, I know it's coming. This is how my migraine, you know, having that language of these trusted adults.
0: And then I'm part of the
1: Not suffering in silence. Yeah. right i mean can you imagine if she wasn't able to to talk about that and she didn't have trusted adults how what her quality of life would be like
0: right and it and it stretches all the way through the high school curriculum so you know take drug yeah. education for example yeah. right every school does drug education differently Drug education is not something you simply want to outsource to the school. You want to have your conversations about your own family experiences, about things that have happened to people you know and love. You don't want it to be fear-based, but you want it to be knowledge-based. You don't want the school to not touch it. You want the school's help and partnership. So all of these things, it feels to me like your story, Mary Pat, is so emblematic of the shift that we have made socially over the past generation from being extraordinarily reserved and quiet. And as you described it, the elephant under the rug in one room and then another and then another, that over the past few decades, the conversations have come out that they are starting to be part of common parlance, that parents are starting to get more comfortable. And there are people like you who Really, as a reaction to the way you were raised, have dedicated their lives to helping not just the kids, but also their parents do it differently, right. which is amazing. Start young, but if you're listening to this
2: and you have a 13 year old, start now. Mm-hmm. And th- th- it's never too late. It's just like if you give your child a cell phone, it's never too late to take it back. Like you can take it back. You know, I've heard that before, you know, but start young, use anatomically correct terms. If you're only calling penises in your house, pickles, please call them a penis. Please call them by their anatomically correct. And then you can go back to nicknames so that they know the terms of their body and that it's not too young because like the younger you have these conversations, you know, like my daughter's first puberty workshop, she was probably Eight. eight or nine. Yeah. And It was just information. There was none of the giggling. There was none, like there was giggling because it was fun. We were yelling vagina at the top of our lungs, but it was not all of the sort of things, the shame that comes on by just by society are are not there. And so then when you're circling back, when they're actually getting their period, they have a lot of information and then they're going to be more focused on logistics or some of the other pieces to it and talk to your friends about it you know, practice that muscle with your friends. You know, we all have that really good friend that we can say anything to and talk about, you know, the pad that you had or the some of your early period stuff or how you, you know, and because we want to sort of clear a little slate for our kids so that like our conversations are being led by what information we want to give them, not our histories.
1: So you just, without our prompting, did your practical puberty takeaway. You anticipated our our final, final moments um, and there were about 10 practical puberty takeaways. So what I'll do is I'll create a little infographic for Instagram for people to get all of those great ideas down. I think for me, my practical takeaway is your point that even in a home, different kids need to have conversations about puberty in different ways and that the way we might want to have the conversation is not necessarily the best fit for one or all of our children and we need to learn to read the room and what each of those kids if if we have more than one kid or what our one child needs from us rather than the way we want to deliver it
0: i'll jump on that and say your comments about How you were raised, how you parent, and the fact that the people who raised you and were part of your childhood still love and adore you and communicate really well with you, despite the fact that you've really shifted your approach dramatically, is just amazing to keep at front of mind. Anyone who's on the fence about, can I do this since it wasn't the way I was raised, They just need to listen to your words. A hundred percent, they can do it. And everyone around them will love them, appreciate it. And they may take the note and they may do it with their own families too. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts. Or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at ThePubertyPodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out MyOomla.com or Dynamogirl.com. Bye.